Guarantee you that kid will remember that moment for the rest of his life. There was some character built in that ice bath that will stay with him for the rest of his life. And if any of you have been in any ice bath or just cold water, you know that the first thing you want to do is to, to get out. Right? And but he endured through that for something that he'll remember for the rest of his life. And there are tough times that all of us will go through in our life that you have gone through and that you will have. It's just part of the Christian life. It's tough times all throughout the Christian life. And the question is, when those tough times arise, do we flee and do we get out of the, the bucket or do we endure and then allow the fruit to be built within us that God is using that trial, that tough time to build something that we can't have without it. And so there's one or two options that we can have, of course, is fleeing or enduring. Fleeing or enduring, remaining patient. And we have to trust, in order to remain patient, we have to trust in what God's Word says. We have to trust that God is in control of all of the entire situation that we're going through. The tough time, whatever it is, that God is in full control. He's sovereign over that. And we have to remember that when he says things like, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, we have to believe that. And that's what James is trying to get through to his audience as we hop into verse 7 of chapter 5. He's trying to let them know that, again, you're going to have tough times. You're going to have tribulation. But if you be patient, God is working something inside of you that will last for the rest of your life. And so if you haven't already, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to James chapter 5, starting at verse 7. James chapter 5, verse 7. Because when we wait patiently... There's a promise there that God will produce fruit in our life. He will produce fruit that will remain for the rest of our earthly light, and that's just how God has designed it. And so as we look at our passage now, what's interesting about this section of James, we're at the back end of the book. If you remember from the beginning of the book, back in chapter 1, he said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so he started off the book telling his audience, telling his, his, his church that there's going to be trials. There's going to be trials, but count it all joy, right? Because God is producing something in you. He's producing steadfastness in you. And now we're towards the end of the book, and he's saying the same thing. He's saying, be patient. Be patient because God is doing something in you. And he goes from, as we were talking about the last few times in chapter 4, and even the last time that we were meeting together, he talks about, he was a little angry. Remember I used that, that, that illustration that he's preaching with the windows open, right? He's talking to the rich. He's talking to those outside. And now he's back to talking to his church. He's talking to his people. And this is what he says, starting in verse 7. He says, be patient. 
I want to stop right there because we need to understand that word patience, right? Be patient. In the, in the Greek, that word is makrothumeia. Makrothumeia is a compound word, and so it's two different words that are in there. Macro is one. That means long, right? Long. And then the other one, thumeia, is tempered or having a, 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 a sort of a righteous anger. And so he's saying be long-tempered, right? Have a, lo- have a long leash before you get angry. Don't be quick-tempered. Be long-tempered. And so be patient, therefore, brothers. Okay? We're back, to, we're back to saying brothers. This is a good thing. For James, right? Until the coming of the Lord, which is the judgment, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. What is that all about? So if you think about back in, back in these days when they had the farmers that were out there, they would get these early rains. The early rains would come in October or November, and then they would also get rains that would come in March and April that would sustain them all the way through the summertime. And so he's saying through the early rains in the back half of the year and then through the late rains that you get all the way before the summertime to be patient. It says, verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts or strengthen your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's near. Do not grumble or complain against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge, God, is standing at the door. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Okay? So this is a different version of patience. So first he said patience, and now he's saying steadfastness. Hupomene is the, the word for that, right? It's, it's being able to endure under a trial. Being able to persevere is what he's talking about now. So this is a different level of patience. It's steadfastness, enduring through. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. I've been working with my son, uh, coaching him in basketball, and right now as a seven-year-old, one thing that we're working up is dribbling, dri- dribbling with your head up, right? Because the tendency is the one to dribble and watch what you're doing, watch what you're doing, and as you know, eventually you got to dribble with your head up because you need to be able to see what's going on. And so right now for him, it's, it's a challenge. It's a hard thing for him to lift his head up, and he doesn't understand why I'm telling him to do that. But my point that I continue to try to emphasize to him is like, look, it might be easy right now, but eventually you got to learn how to do this. Because when you learn how to do this, it's going to open up your game to a whole different level. And I get it's hard right now. And so even when he's practicing, he can look up while he's practicing, but the tendency when the game time comes, when, it, when the rubber meets the road, is he goes right back down to looking at the ball because it's the easier thing to do. Well, as Christians in this Christian life, the tendency for us when times get hard is to look down and, and focus on our circumstances and not keep our head up. You see, we should keep our head up the same way that my son should keep his head up to see what's going on. We should keep our head up focused on Christ. And that needs to be the whole, the whole point of these, these trials and tribulations is us to focus on Christ and say, Christ, what are you trying to teach me here? God, what are you trying to develop in me right now through this trial? But in order to do that, we must keep our head focused on Christ and understanding there's a much bigger picture than what we're actually dealing with right now. The tough time that we're going through right now, that's just a, a small fraction 
of what God is doing. There's a bigger picture that he's trying to do within our life, but we need to focus on him. And look, guess what? Just like my son can practice with his head up and head down, that's easy, right? When you read a book, those things are easy. You can probably recite certain verses that you know what you're supposed to do, but we grow the most during the toughest time. We grow the most when life hits us and we're forced to do it. And that's Brothers, when we need to focus on Christ and keep our head up. So that's point number one this morning is you and I need to keep our mind on Christ in the tough times. Keep our mind on Christ in the tough times. Because the tendency is to, to get angry at God and say, why are you allowing this to happen right now? Why are you allowing this to happen to me in my life right now? Where Colossians 3, 2, Paul tells us to set our minds on things that are, are above, not things that are here on earth. Because the more and more we set our minds on things that are here on earth, the more and more we lose the big picture. We lose the point of God's trying to grow us. God's trying to do something much bigger in our life than what's going on right now, today. Right, God is producing precious fruit, is how James puts it. He's, pr- he's producing that in you, in the tough times. And guess what? There's going to be tough times. Just like I love this illustration that he uses about the farmer. Guess what a farmer has to endure through? Tough times. Right? He plants fruit out there. He plants seeds out there. And the seeds, before they grow, as they grow, they got to go through uh, tumultuous rains probably and winds and sun and, and bugs trying to attack them. All of those are tough things that are, that are happening. And what the farmer does not do at any point in time is say, okay, I'm going to go pluck up the fruit right now because I, I'm panicking. No, why? Because he trusts God. He trusts that just like it happens year after year after year that the fruit is eventually going to produce. Because God has designed it that way. And God is planting seeds in all of our lives. He's planting seeds of love over here and joy over here and peace over here and patience over here. And it comes through trials sometimes in your life. And in order order for you to allow that fruit to grow, you must remain patient and wait. Keep your eyes focused on Christ, knowing that he is the one that's in control of all things. He is the one that's in control of, yes, even your circumstances, even the tough times, even the tribulations that you are in. God is in control of all of that. And he's using that to build something within you that you wouldn't otherwise have. And there's some of you in here that unfortunately have been staying in the same spot in your Christian walk because you have not remained patient throughout your trials. God's brought a trial in your life, and you've figured out some way to sort of manufacture it yourself and get out of it, as opposed to remaining patient and trusting what God is doing in your life and allowing whatever that trial is, whatever that tough time is, to grow you, to grow fruit in you that you wouldn't have otherwise. But it requires us to remain patient and not bail out. Tough times brings growth. Acts 14.22 tells us, it says, strengthening the souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. It's not, well, maybe some of you will have a good life, some of you will have it easy. No, through many tribulations, we must go through to enter the kingdom of God. And there are many godly men in this room right now. Many of you can point at some of those godly men and say, man, that that dude is is strong in his faith. He's a godly dude. The the way that he interacts, the way that he loves Jesus, no matter what's going on, I I wish I had a faith like that. 
you know what I can probably guarantee you? That faith that that man has that you look up to in this room, it came through a trial. I mean, you should probably ask him, right? If there's anybody in here right now that you look up to and say, hey, I, I, I admire your faith. I admire how much you trust God. I admire how much you love Jesus. How did that happen? I guarantee you they have a story about a tough time. A tough time that God taught them something in their life that they would not have otherwise known. And if you ask them, would they do that tough, tough assignment again? they probably say yes because of what, the way that God has grown them. James gets to a point where he says, establish your hearts, right? Strengthen your hearts. How do we strengthen our hearts? It's standing firm on God's promises. God's promises that he's given us. He's given us a book, a book full of promises to make sure that we can remain steadfast in this life, that we can trust in his word. I mean, there, there, there's a ton of verses that, that you could get out of, out of here. Revelations 22, 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So when you have the tendency and the thought to think, man, that person's getting away with something. God said, no, 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 no. I'm going to repay them. And guess what? My justice is far better than anything you can imagine. I'm going to repay them. I'm going to repay the good that's been done in this world too. For those that have trusted in me, that those that have overcame tough times, that they said that they will not forsake me. They will continue to trust me no matter what's going on. I'm going to repay them as well. Right? Romans 8, 18 is another one. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that, ha- that is to be revealed to us. The glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul saying nothing in this world, nothing in this world can touch what you and I will experience when we meet Jesus for the rest of eternity. And he wants us to trust in that. And I get it. There's times that you can feel like you're, the, 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 the trouble that you're going through, the tough time that you're going through is unique to you. But that's where we can go to God's word and understand, look, there, there's nothing new that's under the sun. Right? Solomon told us that. Hey, nothing new under the sun. Right? Whatever you're going through, there's been others that have gone through the same exact thing. But we need to be in God's word. We need to be in God's word in order to focus our minds on Christ, regardless of what we're going through. Because if we can keep our minds on Christ, then we can keep pushing forward. Because we know that he has a good and perfect plan. And that requires us to study God's word. We put those memory verses on there at, at the end of each, each uh, lesson that we have. And don't worry, I, I've heard it. Oh, there's too many memory verses. Oh, there's too much. Guess what you can do? I, get, I, I bet you can recite me a whole song right now from the 80s or the 90s. Right? I bet you can quote me some of your, vav- your favorite uh, authors. Right? It's not a matter of you can't do it, your mind can't do it. It's how important is it to you? Right? How important is it to you? You want to bathe yourself in God's word and you want to constantly recite God? I guarantee you, you will be able to memorize some verses. Yeah, maybe you won't be able to get them all, but you should be able to memorize some verses. Why? Because it's God's word. There's nothing better for you to fill your mind with than God's word. Memorize verses. You should have go-to scriptures, right? There should be scriptures that you, go, that you automatically go, through, go to in your mind when you start to face tough times and that you call up all the time to remember that God is faithful, that God has a good and perfect plan, that God loves you, and he wants to see you be more like Christ. You should have those scriptures. If you don't, you need to write some down and, and memorize those, recall those, 
when you go through tough times. And I don't know, maybe you should have an outlet. It's just, it would be good if you had a group of guys that sat in a circle on Tuesday nights that you could talk to and you could share prayer requests with and that you could really get to know. That'd be really good, right? That was a joke. That, 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 you have that, guys. Right? An outlet. Guys that you can bounce your thoughts of. Guys that you can talk to. Guys that can remind you where to fixate your mind. Because guess what? When, you, when you're by yourself, when you're isolated, the first thing that you want to do is, is, is think about why me? Why am I having to go through this? But when you're able to talk to other guys about the difficulties that you're having and ask other guys to pray for you and ask other guys to come alongside of you and ask other guys, hey, am I, am I headed down the right path right now? I just want another opinion. That's spirit-led. When you talk to other guys and utilize what God has given you, God has given us all. By being here tonight, God has given us a group of men that are around us that can help us be more like him, right? But you have to use what God has given you, right? It's like you having a car parked in your driveway, but you're still walking to work complaining about being late. Use what you got, right? It's right here. Your brothers are right around the table with you. But if you don't use what you have, then you, you can't sit there and say it's not working. You can't sit there and say, I'm struggling, when there's guys that are right around you that God has placed around you. Right? When we bottle it all up, it's just like a soda, right? You, you bottle it all up, there's tension, all this stuff is happening, you open it up, what happens? It explodes, right? And that's what James is getting to. That's the second part. He, he says, what we, we get ang- first thing we do is we get angry with God, right? And then we start to grumble against one another, right? We complain against one another. When things don't go right, we tend to complain against one another, right? And especially as men, you know where we complain at the most? At home. At home, right? Because we wouldn't dare mess up our image at work, right? We work too hard for that. I'm not going to explode on them and tell them how I really feel at work because I got to protect that. So then instead of going to God about it, instead of praying about it, instead of going to your brothers about it, you take it out on wife. You take it out on kids. You take it out on people that love you the most. He had nothing to do with it. But we complain and we grumble to other people because we're not keeping our eyes on Christ, realizing that this is his doing. This is God's doing. He's doing something in your life, trying to grow you, trying to build more fruit in your life, grow more fruit in your life. And when we do that, when we grumble against one another, then God tells us that we will be judged. Right? Do not grumble against one another, brother, so that you may not be judged. When we grumble against others, you and I are, 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 tempt, are tempting ourselves and flirting with being judged. And we're, we're going to be judged because God has given us a clear outlet. Right? He's told us what to do. He's told us to remain patient. Right? We are supposed to fixate our eyes on him, set our minds on things above, but yet we're doing other things to make ourselves feel better. We're taking it out on other people. We can't do that. We shouldn't be taking our frustration out on other people. In fact, when we come against tough times, we should use those tough times to bless other people. Right? That, that's the way to get your mind on Christ and bless somebody else is, is, is start to bless other people. You're going through a tough time? Help somebody else out. Right? 1 Peter 4, 9 through 10 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
serving other people in whatever capacity. You want to take them a meal. You want to go help them out somewhere. Whatever it is, go serve someone else. That gets your mind off of you and on Christ. That gets your mind off of you and blesses someone else and allows them to be encouraged. Back in our passage, James takes us using Scripture to the Old Testament so we can see an example of what this looks like. Verse 10 says this, as an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, remember, remained under a trial, remained under stress. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. All throughout the Old Testament, which they are very familiar with, right, all throughout the Old Testament, we see these prophets that are suffering, right? They're, they're under much persecution, much, much worse than we, we have to deal with, right? Their, their lives are on the line with this persecution. And he's saying that they're remaining steadfast, right? And we would call them blessed. You look at somebody like Moses, right? Moses was, was going up against Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth at the time. God said, I want you to go have a face-off with Pharaoh, right? And what was the first thing that Moses did? Well, I can't. I can't speak well. What did, do, what did God do? He provided. He gave him Aaron and said, look, I, I got Aaron to be your mouthpiece, but then go do what I say. And, and God provided, right? He, t- he took over Pharaoh. Or he took down Pharaoh. God made him realize that he was God, right, through the 10 plagues. And then if that wasn't it, once they got out of Egypt, once they crossed the Red Sea, then he started to deal with family issues, right? We deal with personal stuff. We deal with family stuff too, right? Not only does he have his enemy that he has to fight against, he has his own brother and sister that are turning against him, that are complaining, that are grumbling, that are wondering, who put you in charge? Why are you in charge? Right? And so he, he's dealing with this persecution while God is telling him to leave these people. Leave these people that are trying to kill him, basically, trying to, trying to put him out because they don't want him leading. God's saying, still leave these people. And I'm going to provide every step of the way. I'm going to provide water. I'm going to provide manna. I'm going to provide quails out of the sky. I'm going to provide all of that. But keep leading these people. Right? Jeremiah was another one. Jeremiah 38. Right? You remember that? He, he gets thrown into a cistern, thrown into a well. Right? Why? Because he told them... Everybody that's here in Jerusalem right now is going to get taken to Babylon. You're getting taken out. And guess what? If you try to stay, you're going to die. You're going to die. That's what he told them. That's not going to make you many friends, Jeremiah. He didn't care, right? Because it says that's what the Lord said. And so all he did was repeat what the Lord said, and they threw him into a cistern. He got out. God delivered him from that. And then, of course, Babylon takes, takes Judah into exile, but he spares Jeremiah. He spares Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is there in Jerusalem with the people that remain there. And what do they do? They panic. Oh, we're heading out of town to Egypt. We're going to Egypt. All right? Jeremiah says, do not go to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. They go to Egypt, and they kidnap Jeremiah and take him to Egypt too. All right? And so all this that prophets are having to deal with, they're, are, they're being ridiculed. They're being persecuted. They, are, they're, they got a tough life, man, a hard life. And so James is saying, look at them. Look at them. And you know what we would say? We wouldn't say, ah, man, I wish poor Jeremiah didn't have to go through that. Guy was so young and, man, he had to go through all. No. We're still talking about him today, thousands of years later. Why? Because he made an impact. We're still talking about Moses today, 
thousands of years later. Why? Because he made an impact. They weren't the best person for the job, but they were the ones that trusted God the most. They were the one that stayed, remained steadfast through a trial. Did their trust in God grow through that time? I, absolutely, right? Did God provide? Yep, he did. Will God provide for you in every tough circumstance? Absolutely. And he does. He does. He's already provided for you in so many ways. The question is, did you see it? And did you thank him for it? Because he's always providing, and he will continue to provide for you every step of the way. And that's point number two this evening for us is you and I need to be comforted by God's history of providing. Be comforted by God's history of providing. These prophets, they're they're pillars of the faith, right? Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. They're all listed all throughout there. Why? Because they were the smartest? Because they were the brightest? Because they were tall and handsome and, 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 and all of that? No. Because they trusted God and they remained steadfast through whatever the circumstances were. Because they knew God was the one that was in full control over everything. I mentioned Job in here. I know if you're like me, the first time you read this, you're like, ah, I think Job seemed a little frustrated. Didn't seem like he was uh, very patient with God. And he wasn't. He wasn't. He got a little frustrated, but you see the word change there, right? We talked about going from having long suffering, having a long temper, to being, be, being under a trial, under, under a weight, and being able to persevere. That was Job, right? That was Job the entire time. And Job may have gone, grown impatient with God, but you know what he never thought about God? That he wasn't on the throne. He knew God was on the throne. Even in his last appeal in Job 31, 35, he said, let the Almighty answer me. Right? He, he knows God is God Almighty. He's just saying, God, I want an answer. You got to answer me right now. Why am I going through all of this? But never did he take God off of his throne. Never did he say, God, you're not capable. Maybe you're not even Never came out of his mouth because he trusted God. Almighty answer me is what he said. And God sure did. God shut him up. Starting in chapter 38, God went on this whole, this whole string of, of, of telling Job that he has no idea. Look, you, you, you have no idea what I'm doing. Those stars up there, how did they get? You, you don't know. You have no idea what I'm doing. To the point where Job had to cover his mouth, right? You remember that? Right? But that's the same thing for us that we need to remember. You and I have no idea what God's doing. If Job would have known right then and there that, hey, I'm doing something in your life to show people I'm way more powerful than Satan. I'm doing something in your life that people are going to talk about for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That when somebody is suffering, they're going to go to Job and read the chapter. They're going to read the book of Job and to help them get through their suffering. That's going to help out all humanity. I guarantee you Job would have been like, okay. I mean, I guess. Right? Same thing for you and I. God's doing something in your life right now that's going to build you spiritually in a way that you couldn't be built otherwise. And not just you, he's going to affect a lot of people around you. He's going to affect many people around you. He's going to bring people to Christ through some of you, through the trials that you're going through. You and I don't know that, but we must trust that God is working through every single trial every single tough time. God does not waste a trial. 
every tough time that you go through, he's doing something in it. He's doing something in you, and he's doing something in the people that are around you. And what does James say? What was his purpose? To show his compassion and mercy. His compassion and mercy. At the end of Job's life, he ended up getting way more than he ever had before. Now, we're not to read that and say, yeah, I'm just waiting on the blessing. I'm waiting. Because it may not come in this life. But guess where the blessings are going to come? The next life. For eternity. Where neither moth or rust can destroy. That's what we're storing up for. God's using your life right now to be a witness to others that are around you. I mean, look at, look at your own life and think about that. There's been a trial that God has taken you through, that he's provided every step of the way. may not be how you wanted to be provided, but he provided, he sustained you all the way through. And then when you got on the other side of that tough time, you can now look back and say, I saw significant growth there because of what God took me through. And I know too many times we go through these situations and we're like, man, did, did we have to go through all of that? Yeah, maybe you did, because guess who knows you best? God does. God knows you best, and he knows exactly what you need, and he knows how you need it. And sometimes that could be even putting you on your back in a hospital bed to finally get through to you. And so we must know that through every tough time that we go through in life, guys, God is working. We're not guaranteed anything in this life. So everything that we get is a blessing from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Right? It's a blessing from God. And we need to see it that way. And it's just not for you. It's for everyone that's around you that gets impacted by this. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1. I want to go here because I just love how Paul puts this. And it just frames it up well for us to understand the afflictions that we have in our life in God's role as the great comforter. God's role is being the sovereign God of all. Verse 3 through 11, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us all in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves were comforted by God. You see that there? He says when you go through a, an affliction, when you go through a tough time, God's taking you through that tough time so then you can go bless someone else and help them through that very same tough time. Right? It's not just for you. It's for, the, for you to bless other people. Verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Patiently. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. It's a sharing thing. We all experience this. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we were despaired. We, dis we doubted life itself, he's saying. There was no hope there. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. 
but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that, why? Many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing that God, that he has granted us through the prayers of many. So the fact that you're talking about it, the fact that you're helping other people, that's how God works with affliction. Because you're going through an affliction over here, and people over here are praying for you. People over here can hear about it, and they can be impacted by something that happened over here. Right? God works through all of this. There's a brother sitting in this room right now, right now, that is this for me. There's many of you, but there, there's one in particular that I'm thinking of right now. Right? This time last year, he was laying in the hospital bed, almost dead. Almost dead. Cold blue in the hospital. And I remember going to talk to him in the hospital. And as soon as he could start speaking, the first thing he was doing was praising God. First thing, right? You go to the hospital, almost lose your life. Your body's not functioning like it should. You're weak as I don't know what. And the first thing you do is praise God. And you know what he still does to this day? Every time I talk to him, praise God. That's the first thing that comes out of his mouth. Now, I love talking to the dude because he just reminds me to focus my attention on God. Get out of your feelings. Don't worry about all the stuff that's happening here. The one thing that's most important is Jesus Christ. And when you have him and you see how he's working in your life, there's nothing that can stop you. There's nothing that can get in your way here on earth. Because like Paul said, for me to die is gain. Guess what? I'm going home to be with Jesus. That's where I want to be anyway. We must understand that God is working through this. It encourages me all the time. Why? Because the focus is on Christ all the time in remembering what he's done in my life, what he's done in that man's life. And he's done the same for all of you. The question is, do you notice it? Do you notice it? Do you see where God has a history of providing everything that you need? Do you see where God has a history of growing you in ways that you wouldn't otherwise grow unless you went through that tough time? God's working throughout all the tough times, and he's telling us, be patient because he's at work and fruit is producing and is growing, and we can use it for the rest of our life if we are patient. Final verse back in James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Initially, if you read this, it's like that seems a little left field, out of line. But here, here's what, it, here's what it's, it's saying. It's not talking about cursing, right? It's talking about not swearing, not swearing on top of what you're already saying. You know, if I brought that in modern translations, it'd be like us saying, you know, little kids saying, cross my heart, hope to die. Or, or an adult saying, God, strike me dead if I'm lying right now. Right? He's saying, you don't need that. If you're an honest person, if people know that you're trustworthy and they trust what you say, then you don't need to add all that extra lingo to it. And even Jesus takes it a step further back in, back in the, the Sermon on the Mount because here's another example of James looking at the Sermon on the Mount and putting it in his letter. 
Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 37. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. Anything more than yes or no, that's evil. When you have to start to add on things on top of your words, there's some evil involved in that. Either there was evil leading up to it because you weren't being honest, or there's evil because you're trying to manipulate a situation by saying, no, now now I'm really, really serious. Right, and this is the third way that impatience impacts us. Right, we talk about when we're impatient, we automatically have a tendency to get mad at God. God, why'd you do this? And then we have the tendency to get mad at others, grumble and complain with others. Here's the third way it impacts us. We start to, to lie and manipulate situations in our words to, to, to get ourselves out of it. Right? And so we start to do things that, that, that makes us more unworthy, that makes us not seem like a truthful person because we're, we're really trying to get people to believe us because we weren't honest in the first place. And James is saying, your yes and no should be enough. When you say that, people should be like, yep, I, I know he means it, but he's always been that way. He has a reputation of being an honest man. There's not a lot that we have control of in this world. We understand that. Circumstances happen. But the things that we do have control of is our response to things and our words. And you and I, as Christian men, cannot allow circumstances to dictate our speech. Our speech must be seasoned with salt. Our speech must be honest every time that we speak because we're representing Jesus Christ and we should be known as an honest person in everything that we say. And that's our final point this evening is be honest in everything you say. Be honest in everything you say. You should be known as an honest person. If you're trusting in God, then you just, you just say what it is. There's no need to try to, you know, dance around it. There's no need to try to lie. There's no need to try to manipulate the situation because this is, it is what it is. I'm going to tell you exactly what's, what's here, what's in front of me. Right? And when we get into tough times, the temptation is to, how do I, how do I say something to, to alleviate this, this pressure? How do I say something to get me out of this situation I don't think I should be in? James is saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Matthew 12, 34, remember that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever you're feeling inside, right, wherever your, your heart is inside, if it's on yourself, then you're going to try to figure out a way to say something that's going to protect yourself. If it's fixated on Christ, then your words will be Christ-like. They will be honest. Let your words reflect the trust that you have in Christ. That, that's, that's clear evidence of patience, right? Clear evidence. I don't have to lie. I'm just going to tell you what it is. Right? My yes is going to be my yes, and my no is going to be my no. Right? We don't want to be known as somebody that bends things just to get our way so that we can get the things that we want to get. I love working for Pastor Mike, one of my favorite leaders that I've ever worked for. And here's the reason why. Because he doesn't sugarcoat things. I just tell you, tell you how it is. I remember one of the first times I had a sermon review. Well, it wasn't one of the first times, later times. But I had a sermon review, and we were going through my sermon. And it was one, you know, I thought I did okay with, right? And so we're, we're watching it, and then we get about 15 minutes into it, and he goes, just, just turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> oh, were you that impressed? I don't, what? He's like, I mean, we, we can agree this, this, this wasn't your best work, right? Can we, can we agree on that? 
Okay, I need you to get better. And he left. What? What do you mean? Like, I mean, no, no sugar cut. Hey, you're doing well and all that stuff. And, you know, he says, he says it when it's necessary. But he was just like, no, I, I need you to get better. I need you to get better. And I appreciate that so much because I trust him. Right? I, I trust that if there was a sermon that, that I thought was good and he thought was garbage, he's going to tell me it's garbage. He doesn't care about my feelings. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. He wants the best out of me, and he wants to please Christ way more than he's trying to please me. And so he's going to be honest and come what may, right? Whatever. But he's going to be honest, and I appreciate that about him. And that's how you and I need to be with everything. People need to say, you know what? I know what that guy If he told me yes, then he means yes. If he told me no, he means no. Because he has a track record of being honest. And his yes means yes, and his no means no. You think back to that video that that I showed at the outset of this. There was another person that was in the tank. And that was the, the kid's father. The kid's father was in the tank with him. And initially, the first round, when he got up and left, he was trying to motivate his son son to, to stay in there. To stick with it. Don't get out. Just, just trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Because his dad knew. His dad had his eyes focused on something bigger. When he got into adulthood, he knew that if he can overcome this, that that's going to carry on to many things in life. And so he kept telling him, I'm, I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you. For you and I as Christians, our Heavenly Father is doing the same thing. He's telling us, stay in there. Stay in there. Be patient. I know what I'm doing. I I got something in you that you can't even imagine that I'm trying to work through you right now. Be patient. Be patient. Don't get antsy. Don't fret. Be patient. I'm right here with you. Our Heavenly Father's doing that. And you and I need to slow down and be patient and have more steadfastness. And God will produce something in us that we couldn't even imagine. Right, he'll start impacting more people around us than you, you and I could even, we can't even imagine, right? People you never thought would be impacted are going to be impacted because you remain patient through whatever tough time that God brings in your life. He's producing something in us that we otherwise couldn't produce for his glory, for yours and my sanctification and encouragement for us to remember for the next time. And then even important, even just as important, he's producing something in us to be a witness to everyone else so that somebody else can say, hey, I want a little bit of what you have. And then what you can tell them is, I got Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for having a good and perfect plan. Lord, we love that you have a plan and we love that you love us and even want to use us as part of your perfect plan. And Lord, I just pray as we read this passage and we study this passage and have our small group time that we would think more often about how you have provided so much in our life through all the tough times that we've all been through. Lord, you've been right there to provide. You've done what you promised that you would do. It's our responsibility to understand that and to know that and to trust in that. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be more sensitive to seeing your goodness in our tough times and that we would see the growth that we would otherwise not even have if it weren't for the challenge that you brought before us. But, Lord, help us to have a desire to be more like Christ, to continue to keep our eyes focused on you and to grow to be more Christ-like in all the things that we do. And that comes 
specifically in tough times. So, Lord, I pray that we would, we would challenge each other as brothers and we would come around each other as brothers and that we would all be more like Christ and that you would use Compass Bible Church, you would use these men to make an impact in this world for your glory and your honor. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.